We've been making our way through Genesis, finished up last week with the covenant with uh, Abram, and he continues to establish and confirm that covenant, and will continue to do so with Isaac and Jacob, and with the children of Israel for the forefathers' sake. And um, But tonight we see a little bit of more of that, uh, how that plays out. But first, uh, there's one little story, side story, on how maybe they tried to fix it themselves because it seemed like it was taking too long, the promised descendant, Isaac. And so in chapter 16, um, let's just go through the first six verses. Um, now Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, and perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived her mistress, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. Now the Lord judge between you and me. And so Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you see, as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. It's been 10 years since God had promised Abram and Sarai descendants back in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And Abram's now 85, Sarai is 75 or 6, and uh, they're still childless. They've been waiting. Remember last time uh, Abram says, you know, can Eliezer be my, my uh, descendant there? You know, he's my servant, my household. And... Uh, the Lord said, no, it's going to be by you and Sarai. Well, Sarai's got her plan this time. Now it's, she's getting tired of waiting. And so she says, how about you, you take Hagar? And it's interesting, Sarai says, you know, maybe she will be able to give a child for me. Um, but the first thing that happens is Hagar sees that, you know, now she's going to have this, um, this descendant. And her perspective changes you know, maybe now I'm the one. And so she begins to despise Sarai. Abram had great wealth, and he was, you know, remember he had uh, 318 or so soldiers or men that he armed, and he went up to get uh, Lot from way up by Damascus. And, um, and so he had a big household. He had lots of animals. He had great wealth. And Hagar's saying, well, you know, if I'm having the descendant here, I'm going to have some preeminence. And so she begins to despise. Abram's son would be the one who would get all the attention of all that house. He'd be the presumed heir and the master of all this one day. But she's pregnant, and the child is not going to be Sarai's. The child, in reality, um, in reality begins to set in. And Hagar takes this opportunity to gain preeminence. Um... Sarai certainly regrets at this point ever offering Hagar to Abram. 
She knows she's wrong. She says, you know, it's my wrong. But it's got to be on you to fix this. And she's saying, it's up to you, Abram, to fix this. And Abram says, well, you know, uh, you may have gave her to me for wife, wifely things, but uh, I never considered her that. Take your servant. Do with her as you please. And uh, you'll never hear the Lord um, or when he speaks to Abram about any of this. He never, even when he speaks to Hagar, he never calls her Abram's wife. He's never, uh, it's never Abram's responsibility with Hagar. Um, it was Sarai's slave or servant that she gave. And, uh, you know, as far as the Lord is concerned, um, Abram's only got one wife, and that's Sarai. He's only got one uh, that he left his household for and cleaved unto her like we studied in the first couple chapters of Genesis. That was the one that they became one flesh. And that's the one the Lord honors, and that's the one who the Lord made the, made the covenant with, Abram and his wife Sarai. Application, whatever God has promised for you, allow him to bring it to pass. You might be waiting might be waiting a long time. It might become impossible looking. You're way beyond the age of being able to do anything. And yet, uh, you know, you try a workaround and it just brings trouble. I mean, think of, you know, we'll see in the, in the chapters following who the descendants of Ishmael are. And they were not friends of Israel. And they caused all kinds of grief, in fact, to this day. Um, Ishmael is the... the father of all the Arab nations. All the Arab nations are trying to kill Israel right now. You know, and so, uh, and that's been that way down through history. And through the Old Testament, many of the descendants of Ishmael caused nothing but grief. And if you go back to verse 1 and say, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar, period, and end of story, there'd be no problems. But then there's verse 2. So that's the application. You know, it's never easy to wait with patience, especially when the original promise, with all of its glory, and it starts to look unlikely or if not impossible. In, um, in chapter 21, uh, we'll get to that later, Sarah conceives and Isaac is born. Um, but now along with all that great joy in the household of having that descendant, now you got... Uh, and we'll read about it. You got Ishmael across the the yard mocking Isaac, and uh, so there's uh, just a, a shadow and a stain on the whole bit for being impatient and trying to rush what the Lord had promised. So even though many times we think we're doing something to help, oftentimes it brings trouble, trouble, difficulty, and regret. We're going to have to wait either way. Why not be patient? instead of being anxious and trying to fix it. Moral of the story. Then in verse 7 through 16, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by a spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, you will bear a son, 
and you should call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the um, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Bir Laharoi. Observe, it's between Kadesh and Bered. And so Hagar bore Abram a son and named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And remember back in chapter 12, he was 75 when he came out from his, his household in Haran, from his uh, father's household and from his country. So Hagar is not forsaken by God for Abram's sake. He sees her. She, he, she calls the name of the Lord, You are the God who sees, or El Roy, or El Rai. The Lord sends her back to Sarai to submit to her rather than despise her. It comes with a promise. She'll have a son and uh, call him Ishmael because God heard her affliction. Ishmael will multiply, greatly numerous descendants. But look at the contrast. Back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, remember we read how God blesses Abram. God makes Abram a blessing to those who are around him. Remember he had those allies that he took and went after Lot. And uh, just living in that area, his neighbors were blessed. And the Lord made him a blessing to those around him. And that'll be all through his descendants, through Isaac and Jacob. Now contrast this with Ishmael. Is he a blessing to his neighbors? No, it says he'll be a wild man against everybody, and everybody's going to be against him. So there's a contrast. And as we'll see later in Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, Ishmael was the father of those Arabic nations. Um, You'll see a lot of times in Arabic, Abraham, it'll be with an I, Ibrahim. And uh, they claim Abraham is their father, rightly so, through Ishmael. And, um, you know, you follow that down, you'll even find that there's this uh, crazy fellow named Mohammed who is descendant from Ishmael. And it makes you wonder, if only Sarah knew. Um, But God knows. And all this is in his hands. One descendant will bless all the families of the earth. And the other is against everybody. And everybody's against him. Genesis 17. Read the whole chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will, be, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give you, to you and your descendants after you the land 
in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which I shall, which they shall keep between me and you, your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall, circumcise, uh, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight years old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people He has broken my covenant. And then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings, peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham, Abraham, I better start saying it right, fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is or ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's still trying to make it work. And then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful, will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And so Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God said to him. And Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised with his son Ishmael. All the men of his house, born in the house, or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Wow. So, the sign of the covenant. First of all, Abram is now called Abraham. And Abram means, it's where you get Abba from, it just means father. But now Abraham is father of many. Sarai is now Sarah, mother of nations, kings, people. Now Abraham laughs, and so God says, you laugh at this? So you will name him Isaac, and that Isaac means laughter. And so you remember now, every time you call your son, you know, that you laughed when I told you I was going to keep my promise. And that's kind of cool when you think about it, because the Lord would, you know, he has that relationship, and you're starting to see this, where Abraham and, and the Lord have this relationship where he can fall on his face and laugh while the Lord's talking to him and say, please, let's do it a different way. And the Lord says, no. And... um 
it's a certainly a reverence and a fear um, of the Lord that Abraham has, and he's got faith that this is the God, Almighty God. When God approached him, he says, I am Almighty God. And uh, so now Abraham laughs, and he says, name your kid Isaac. But the covenant is with Abraham, stated plainly here. It's not with anybody else, and with Sarai. Sarah now, and Isaac. The sign of the covenant, circumcision for Abraham, any male in his household, so Ishmael and everybody circumcised, but the covenant was not with any of them. Now it talks about the sign of the covenant. Well, the covenant's with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on, but whoever's in his household, whoever's uh, he has that bought from a foreigner and will be circumcised, and that becomes important as we'll see down the line as we go through the Old Testament. But uh, there's a reason for all that. Now, um, so only the son that was born to Abraham and Sarah alone. Now, Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, also descended from Shem, who God blessed, if you remember. Now, Hagar was an Egyptian, and uh, that was uh, not from Shem. She came out, uh, Sarah was the one that came out of Haran with Abraham, out of his country, out of his father's house, and was separated to God with Abraham. Now, the sign of the covenant is circumcision, but the line and the seed promised to Eve all the way back is now coming through Abraham. And we're following that down the line. You've got to remember the overall context of everything. Jesus said, the volume of the book speaks of me. And Jesus was and is that seed that was promised to Eve that would crush the head of the serpent. And now and the Lord had preserved through Noah, and now had preserved through Shem, and now coming down through um, Abraham, and he makes his covenant with Abraham. And we'll see why. Um, circumcision separates Israel from all other nations. Nations, the word is goy, or goim if there's many, also called the Gentiles. Uh, whether or not any other people in the world anywhere are circumcised, that's not the, that doesn't mean they're under the covenant. That's just they're circumcised. Um, the covenant is with the Israels, uh, anybody dwelling with them. And the thing of it is, if they weren't, if they didn't, then they're cut off. And so this is important to the Lord. Well, the reason was, why? Because they break that covenant. Um, this is the thing that they're doing. He's doing his side of the covenant and they're doing their side of the covenant. And this is that covenant, simply circumcision. The law comes later, and we'll read more about that in Exodus and uh, Leviticus. Remember when God appears to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 17, he says, I am Almighty God. First time that word is used. It's the word El Shaddai, the most powerful God. And that's when he establishes this, this sign of separation. Uh, for, the, for the purpose, and he says, to walk before him blameless and for the establishing of the covenant. And that's what he says. I'm the most powerful God. I'm separating you to myself. Here's the sign. And, um, you know, so that he walks with him. He walks with him blameless and so that he can keep his covenant. And the covenant would be established with Isaac and the command to be circumcised will be passed along and established by God in the Mosaic Law, and like we said in Exodus and Leviticus. But Israel missed the main reason for this circumcision. 
that cutting away of the flesh to separate to God, to be separated to God. It was the law, but not intended to be a religious ritual without a heart of love for God. Um, turn to Deuteronomy 10. It's funny how when things get passed on down generation to generation, they become religion. They become stale. It's not love anymore. Now it's just showing up for your obligations. And uh, that's we know it's true in our day. You know, how many of us came out of a denominational church? Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with them. But uh, when it's passed down from generation to generation, um, many times it just becomes that stale religion. And it's got nothing to do any with having a personal one-on-one with the Lord. Well, in, in uh, the first, um, or in 12 through 22, verses 12 through 22, um, and now Israel, it, what does the Lord your God require of you? Well, but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I commanded you for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord God. In other words, God Almighty, El Shaddai. Also the earth with all that's in it. And the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskins of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, takes no bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude like he promised Abraham. That which is in their hearts, um, that's what they need to cut away, that that uh, separate themselves to God. It's in the hearts he's talking about already back in Deuteronomy. When God's about to bring him in the land in the last few chapters of Deuteronomy, he tells them even uh, when they rebel, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 30, he says even when they rebel, he scatters them among the nations. He will have compassion, though, and he'll bring them back. In verse thir- uh, chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, he says, Now it shall come to pass. All these things shall come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children and all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity, have compassion on you, gather you again from all the nations where the Lord God has scattered you, And if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Also the Lord your God will put on all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the the Lord and do all his commandments, which I have commanded you do today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand and the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for uh, good as he rejoiced over your father. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book, the law, and if you turn to the Lord with all of your heart, with the Lord your God, with all of your heart and with all of your soul, it's a matter of the heart. And um, again, he will circumcise their hearts and their descendants. And just keeping on to the end of the chapter, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you. It's not far off. It's not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth, in your heart, that you may do it. And see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God who, and walk in his ways and keep his commandments, that his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish and you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God and you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life, the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them you know, that kind of love relationship where you want to cling to the Lord. And it, it seems almost like there's a, like a mixed thing. I command you to love me. It's hard to understand that because love is voluntary. Um, and yet what he's saying is, I lay it before you and uh, to love, to cling to him. And it's been like that from the beginning and it's still like that to this day. He's already talking about circumcising our hearts He's already talking about separating ourselves away from the world, separating ourselves away from the things that cause death, and, and separate yourselves to the Lord, to the things that give life. All this to show that God's plan all along through all of this was to reconcile and restore and redeem mankind back to himself, to the relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden with the fall of man, and one day for that eternal life in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Um, Let's turn all the way back to Colossians chapter 1. All this, that sign, that sign of the covenant. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul's writing to the believers there, the brethren. You know, he recognizes their faith. And he gets down to verse 19. 
trying to, to explain to them the preeminence of the Lord, trying to explain to them what we have in him and exactly who he is. Um, verses 9 through 18 describe exactly who the Lord is. There should be no doubt that he is God Almighty with the Father from all eternity. The expressed image. But then he says in verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Did you realize before you were believers you were actually enemies? You weren't just kind of hanging out and being neutral. No, you were enemies and by your wicked works. Verse 22, In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh that which is lacking for the affliction of Christ. Uh, You know, I was just going to read through 19 through 21. I kept on going. But he says in 21, you were once alienated, enemies in your mind, but he made peace. He wanted to reconcile us. And skipping over to chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, just down to the next uh, chapter, verse 9, again it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And if you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power, In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through the faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he, was taken, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The true purpose of circumcision was completed on the cross. There is nothing anymore except what he's describing right here, and that is for you and I, that circumcision of the heart to where we've now been Uh, By him, he separated us from the things of the world and brought brought us to himself. The purpose of circumcision was completed in Christ. Now, it's funny, the simple and most obvious thing about circumcision is it's a sign, is what he said it is. But it's not like an arm patch. I mean, nobody sees this except your wife, you know, and so it's... It's not like if it's a sign for all to see. What does that say? It's, it's an individual thing. It's for you to know. And the same is true for the circumcision of the hearts for the gals. It's for you to know that the Lord has separated you to himself. It's a sign for us so that we have that one-on-one with the Lord. And, you know, like I said, it's, nobody, nobody sees whether or not you're circumcised or not. It's an interesting thing that he'd say it's a sign when nobody can see it. But it is a sign for them and for us to know. 
if you go back to Genesis 18, he carries on with the covenant a little bit. I just want to get up maybe as far as verse 19 tonight because the question of really all of this is with uh, Abraham being 100 years old, Sarah being 90 years old, you know, he brings it up again. The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And this wasn't long after chapter 17 when the Lord uh, went up from him. And so he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And after that you may pass by. Inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, Do as you have said. And so Abraham, Abraham hurried into the tent and Sarah and said, Quickly make uh, ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran. This guy's 100 years old. And he ran to the herd and took a tender and good calf, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them. You know, when I read that, I couldn't get out of my head that, you know, they're not supposed to have the milk with the, with the meat. Well, it doesn't really say that. It says you're not supposed to cook the meat in the milk. But their father Abraham gave the Lord <laughs> milk and butter with the calf. And set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And so uh, he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Well, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. And now Sarah and Abraham were old, well and advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. She's 90 Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, I shall have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord, Abraham? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it and says, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And she said, and he said, no, but you did laugh. Now it says, Sarah laughed within herself. I don't think, you know, she was laughing out loud so everybody could hear her at all. And so, you know, the Lord sees and hears the hearts. But um, the question that's been answered, and he's trying to teach Abraham, trying to teach Sarah, and trying to teach every one of us, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And he opens up chapter 17, El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. I'm the most powerful God, God of gods, Lord of lords, creator of heaven and earth. He holds together by his words everything that you're looking at and that you are. And is anything too difficult for him? And it's hard to remember that when we don't seem to get our way, you know, because often we pray and we desire certain things and we even think, Lord, how can you watch this happen? And we know that, that you can do something about it and, and nothing happens. You know, a lot of times it's hard for us to, you know, it's, it's a challenge to our faith. But the truth of it is, 
if he wills it, it'll be done. And so, um, and he says, you know, seek, you know, and you shall find. He says, knock, and it shall be open to you. And it talks about seeking the Lord, like uh, somebody who wakes up the judge in the middle of the night. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking the Lord for these things. And if nothing else, you pursue him three times over something. And like Paul, you might just get the grace to endure what you got to endure. But all, many, all too many times, we, we take it as a challenge to our faith when we don't get the answer that we want or that we think God would want. You know, but truth of it is, um, it's not his will. If it was his will, he's got a purpose beyond what we know. And he's sitting around 25 years. How many years was it since the first promise came in, in chapter 12? 25 years. Ishmael's 13 years old now. And that was, you know, so 24-some years that the promise first came, back when they were in their 70s and 60s. And now they're beyond having uh, the age of childbearing. You know, so Sarah laughs in her heart. Well, it's going to be Isaac, and she's going to remember it now too. But we see, we serve a God who sees and he hears in our hearts. If you want to flip to Romans chapter 4, we can see a little bit about really what was going on in Abraham's heart and how he walked with the Lord. Just uh, three verses, uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Maybe just to run up to it, I'll go with 17. As it was written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as those they did. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope, speaking of Abraham, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, or the deadness of Sarah's womb, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to do, he was able to perform. You know, list the things that what we learn about Abraham here. In hope, he believed. Now, faith really is the substance of things hoped for from, from Hebrews chapter 11. That word substance means setting under a foundation. Um, the assurance, the footing, the stability. That's what substance means there. Faith really is the substance, the footing, and the foundation. And the things hoped for is the things which you're waiting with confidence for. I mean, we, we think about hope as something, well, I really, really hope this happens. That's not what the hope is being talked about. This is where we're waiting, fully confident it's going to take place. And we have no doubt. You know, setting under that foundation is that faith and that's what we have in that, in that with confidence. And then he says he's not weak in faith. He's not wavering. He's not even considering the fact that he's 100 years old and Sarah's 90 years old. That doesn't cause him to waver in unbelief at the promises, according to Paul. He strengthened himself in his faith when God promised. He says, a year from now, I'll be back. And when I am, you'll have a son. But he gives God the glory, fully convinced that God is able to perform it. If you go back once again to Genesis 18, just the next few verses there, um, 
it's kind of starting the next little segment of this chapter and starting the next story, but there's some things to learn about why God uh, had such a relationship with Abraham and why Abraham had this relationship with God. So these guys that had come to visit, there were three of them, and he called one of them Lord. These men rose from there, and they looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham, notice this, shall surely become a great nation and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Who is Abraham talking with? Well, the God who appeared to him, and he calls Lord. Now it says, no one shall see the Lord, no one shall see God, God's face and live. And so Abraham recognized him as Lord, just like he recognized Melchizedek. And I think... uh, that we can, and the Lord shows us this is another Christophanes. In other words, an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You know, he is one with the Father from all eternity. He didn't, uh, he was sent from heaven. And um, when he came to earth, but uh, here he is walking on the earth, walking up to Abraham like any other man. What's my proof for all this? John 8. Because it's, uh, it's a lot for some to swallow. That Jesus, who was born to Mary just 2,000 years ago, appeared to Abraham. And we read last week, talking about Melchizedek. And uh, in fact, Hebrews declares plainly that Melchizedek was our Lord. But in John 8, verses 31 through 59... Once again, the Pharisees are, are, um, are um, trying to trick the Lord. And some of them are genuinely curious. They, 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 are, they actually says they're believers. And, uh, but they're challenging him because you know, he's saying things that he should be saying. You're, you're equating yourself with God. And so we pick it up in, in 31. He says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide... In my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, then they said, well, we are free. We're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How do you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, well, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in a house forever, but a son does abide forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We are not born of fornication. And if you know what that means, you know, remember the 
the Lord was born to Virgin Mary before she was married. And uh, so everybody knew, well, she must be, you know, have committed adultery. There must have been fornication because she had Jesus out of wedlock. And so they're throwing a pretty good slam back at him. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, you can only put out what's, what you put in your heart. You're not going to be able to come up with anything if you haven't gotten into God's word. And um, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. And well, then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered and said, I do not have a demon. I honor my father, you dishonor me. Oh, and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anybody keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Well, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets who are dead, who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If, I, if my Father who honors me, oh, I should say, it is my Father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God, and yet you do not know him. But I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and how have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to you, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Basically, he walked through walls, and only it wasn't walking through walls, he walked right through them. But, you know, you... This is the one verse that always came to my mind every time the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons came trying to say that Jesus was not God or he was just, you know, something else because the Jews would know and they knew what he was claiming to be. When he says, I am, I'll never forget the, this two, uh, two adults and one child, Jehovah's Witnesses came up and, and I went and sat on the stoop of my porch and I sat and I kind of just looked at the kid because I didn't, no, why? I just, for some reason, and I says, you know, remember the Moses in front of the burning bush? He says, I am that I am. That's who he said to Moses that he is. Well, Jesus just said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And only God can say that. And so Jesus is God. They left. Um, so they took up stones to throw at him. But notice what he says. He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Well, what is he talking about? Well, in Genesis 18, just the last 
verses that we went through, 16 through 19, you know, uh, that's who he's talking to. And he calls him Lord. And he, here's a hundred-year-old guy skipping like a little kid to go get some food. And uh, you can just picture that. And uh, here's Sarah running to bake cakes and, and all. And so uh, it, it's just, to me, the rejoicing, the glee certainly was there when Abraham saw the Lord. And I do believe, um, no doubt, that he saw the Lord Jesus Christ walking with those two angels that came to meet him. And you know, it's funny, everywhere in the Bible that you see something like that, he eats, there's food. Remember Melchizedek? He brought bread and wine. And, uh, and so here's Abraham feeding, can I give you something to eat? And Jesus, the disciples are out in the boat and can't catch anything, and there's Jesus on the shore cooking food after he had raised from the dead. You know, so it's, uh, notice how he relates to Abraham. He cannot hide what he's doing from Abraham. He is the one. I will make a great nation. I know him. He's the guy that will teach his children and his household, and afterward he's going to you know, keep the way of the Lord. He's going to do righteousness. He's going to do justice. And for that, God was able to make him the one that, you know, bring to pass all the things that he spoke about Abraham, all that he promised. You know, who's the one that you tell everything to? You got somebody in your life that you can tell anything to? Well, that's your friend, isn't it? I mean, if you don't have friends, there's things you're holding back. But um, turn to First Chronicles. We'll try and hit a few more before we're done just to go through them so you can see the heart of the Lord. He wanted to tell Abraham because why would he keep anything from him if he's the one that he had been um, you know, in a relationship with? He'd been walking with him. He'd been speaking to him. He'd made a confidant with him. He'd been talking to him in... Uh, Second Chronicles 20, 1 through 7. It said, It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to the battle against Jehoshaphat. Then someone came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude against you from beyond the sea in Syria, and they are in Hazazan and Tamar, which is En Gedi, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all, the, uh, all Judah. You know, it's funny, when, something, when you're facing something like that, all of a sudden it's serious, you're, you fear and you seek the Lord for real. And a lot of people just, um, you know, until something major happens, they're not going to seek the Lord for real. It's not going to be genuine. And so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, and the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God our fa- of our fathers, O you, uh, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? First time in the Bible that Abraham is called the friend of God. 
and they dwell in it, and you have built your built you a sanctuary, and uh, and your name is um, for it your name, saying. And he goes on to talk about it, but just verses one through seven. If you want to flip to Isaiah forty-one, where did uh, Jehoshaphat learn that Abraham was God's friend? God Almighty, El Shaddai, creator of heaven and earth, known as a friend to Abraham. Isaiah 41, leading up to this, chapter 40 is, you know, comfort ye my people, um, says the Lord. He's bringing them back and he's talking about the millennium. He's going to lead up to that and he's going to rule from Zion. And um, so he's given them hope, he's given them great comfort. And who God is for us is the greatest comfort we can ever have. Knowing who God is and how much he loves us. And, you know, look at verse 41. All these that would criticize. He says, keep silent before me, O coastlands. And let the people, let my people, renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let them come near together for judgment. Who raised up one from the east... Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as the dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them them and passed safely by the way that he had gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last I am he. The coastlands saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes with the anvil, saying, It is ready for the solder. And he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, turn to James. We, we talked about this last week, but I didn't have you turn to James. Remember the most uh, important verse in the Bible, in my opinion? It's hard to say that because the Bible is the Bible. To say that there's one verse that's more important than any other, I hate to, to do that. But Abraham believed God and it was counted for righteousness. And this is the context in James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Well, James isn't looking back at Genesis to see that, except to see what we saw in chapter 18, how he says, can I hold anything back? Can I hide anything from uh, my my friend Abraham, the Lord's saying that to him. You know, I, I'm going down to Sodom. The Lord knows everything. The Lord knew that Lot was there. And we'll see how that all p- plays out next week, but Lord willing. But if if uh, you can see that, he indeed was the friend. Look at John 15 for our last passage. Verses 9 through 15. <clears throat> Context is, is the... He is the vine, and his father is the vine dresser. He talks about abiding in him, but 
As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And it's not a prerequisite. It's just a, a, a response and a reciprocity you know, for his love. He loved us first. These things I have spoken to you that, you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Remember that verse. The word of God is so that your joy is full, that your joy be in him and be in you, his joy be in you. Um, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Just like Abraham, right? I can't keep this from my friend. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Who are the ones that you tell everything? Who are the people that you can tell anything? You know, those are your friends. That's your friend. What's he saying to us? What a friend we have in Jesus, right? And that's all I got for tonight. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your heart for us. And um, uh, words fall short. And there's so many things that we just see are impossible um, that you've promised you're going to do in our lives. And our, our bodies fail us. And our flesh fails us. And Lord, you've called us to be set apart. And we just pray that you'd continue to work that in our lives and that you'd be doing that, Lord. You'd be setting us apart by your Holy Spirit and causing us to work those things uh, in us, causing, causing you to work those things in us that, that we can perform them because of your strength and your power and your ability. But Lord, that knowing that you have hidden nothing from us because you are our friend, and we do want to just walk in that relationship with you. And not make it up as we go, but just remember what you've promised and not get in the way of of you performing all that you want to do. Help us to finish the race in the spirit and not in the works of our flesh, trying to do things in our own strength. So hard to remember that on any given day. And we just ask that you'd keep us on that path. Lord, we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.